All right, we're going to get started. I think there's people in the hall. You good? All right, let's pray. God, we come to you now and we thank you for tonight. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to, uh, to open up the Word and to continue to uh, understand more about your design and, and your will and um, just what you want from us uh, as we live lives of obedience and a response to mercy and grace that's been extended to us. Um, tonight, as we look at uh, prophecy, I pray against confusion. Uh, it, it can be very confusing and very um, jumbled as far as uh, a process of thinking goes. And so I just, I pray that tonight that you give us clarity as we just kind of slowly walk through the Word and see what you have to say um, about uh, prophecy and what it is, what it isn't. Uh, Lord, again, we thank you for tonight, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, open up to Genesis 20. Last week in Genesis 20, we saw uh, Abraham and Abimelech. <clears throat> it was really cool because it was a uh, it was a picture of the gospel, just a, as clear as can be. What we saw with Abraham and Abimelech was a, a chosen one of God, Abraham, sins against the king, and in response, he's given an abundance of riches a home in the kingdom, and he is, uh, he is uh, counted innocent and vindicated. And this is a picture of grace, mercy, and redemption of the undeserving. We, we see this picture, and then we see the king of kings coming in, and what happens is he calls Abraham a prophet. We see that in verse 7. And so our normal way of, of approaching a, a Bible study as we teach, um, as you hear preaching, is that we go through just a verse at a time. And sometimes in that expository teaching, uh, you'll run into something that causes you to kind of springboard over into another place, possibly another topic. Um, we don't normally just teach on you know, this topic and then that topic and just kind of pick topics depending on what time of year it is. And so uh, what, we, what we've encountered in Genesis 20 verse 7 is something that is going to... Um, Springboard us to the place of talking about prophecy, because in verse 7, we see the first time that anyone is referred to as a prophet. Abraham is called a prophet in verse 7, and so he intercedes for King Abimelech, and as he intercedes with prayer, there's healing there. And we touched briefly on the truth that a prophet is essentially a mouthpiece of God. So this week, we're going to be looking at prophecy. Uh, We'll be looking at the current day use of and receiving of prophecy, and this, this week has been kind of crazy in, in studying it. I've read every verse that there is on prophecy and prophesying and prophets. I've listened to a couple sermons. I've read a couple other things. I've, I've read a lot of stuff on it this week, looking at it. And it's just, it's pretty huge. And so to spend one night on it almost feels a little bit silly. But I think we can do it if we just look at the current day uh, implications of it. it. Does prophecy even exist right now? If so, how do we use it? Uh, how do we not use it? Um, how do we know it's for real? So it is a bit different from the Old Testament and apostolic uses of prophecy. Um, there's lots of prophecies in the Old Testament that are fulfilled in the New Testament, and they're really good for us. They're, they're really encouraging. Um, I've got an entire list here. I'll share a couple of examples, and that's about all we're going to do in looking at it. Um, prophecies respecting Christ. He was prophesied, and Psalms was written anywhere from a 1,000 to... Um, I've got some notes in here that I don't really feel like looking at. Hundreds of years before Jesus came, uh, the Psalms was written, uh, Isaiah was written, some of the other prophecies uh, were written, 
And there's so much respecting Christ that was prophesied, that was fulfilled very clearly in the New Testament. He was prophesied as the Son of God, that was fulfilled in Luke. He was prophesied as the seed of the woman, that was fulfilled in Galatians. As the seed of Abraham, that was also fulfilled in Galatians. As the seed of Isaac, that was fulfilled in Hebrews. There are numerous prophecies about Jesus that were fulfilled. And ultimately, that's really good for the church. When you see multiple people over hundreds of years prophesying something, then it all comes to fruition in in Christ. That's encouraging to the church. That's good because it helps us to understand Jesus better and and the will of God in the the Word. So tonight we're going to be looking at the current day implications of prophecy. So uh, my first question is who here earnestly desires methylchloroisothiazolanone? Does anybody earnestly desire methylchloroisothiazolanone? No one? Does anyone know what it is? No. Um, the point that I'm making is you cannot earnestly desire that which you do not know. You can't earnestly desire something that you have no idea what it is, what it's used for, where you would find it, uh, what you would do if you had it, uh, what are the benefits of it, what are the weaknesses of it, how to make use of it. You can't earnestly desire something that you don't know. So turn to 1 Corinthians 14 with me, and we're going to start looking at the current uses of prophecy. And I don't know. I think I'll just leave you hanging. I think, I think I'll just leave you hanging. I'll give you a hint. You, Ben, need it more than I do. Ben. It's actually an ingredient in shampoo. That's why you would need it more than I do. Yes, I've read the back of a shampoo bottle. I don't know. You get bored. You just start reading things. Methylchloroisothiazolanone. Y'all can look it up. The spelling is probably wrong on my notes, so I won't tell you. 1 Corinthians 14, verses 1 through 4 says this. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For the one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, first of all, as there are two things being mixed together here, I want to make it very clear. We are not talking about um, the gift of tongues tonight. I will not be accepting any questions on the gift of tongues. We're not going to be talking about it at all. It's enough just to look at prophecy. And so that's what we're looking at tonight. And so according to these verses, out of all the spiritual gifts, which are we to especially earnestly desire? prophecy. Okay, according to this verse, why should we especially earnestly desire the gift of prophecy? Why? Build up the church? What is it good for? Building up of the church, what else? Yeah, upbuilding, encouragement, consolation, the building up of the church. So, just to make sure we're all on the same page, by this definition, what is prophecy not to be used for? Tearing down the church, being discouraging, bringing discomfort to someone, uh, undoing uh, things that are good for the people of God. And so, um, as we're looking at this, we are to especially earnestly desire the gift of prophecy, and we're to, to desire them for that reason, for good things. 
Um, this is a thing that, and we're going to look at this a little bit more, but it's just often misused. Oftentimes you will see someone saying that they have a prophecy that they want to speak over someone or give to someone, and sometimes it is misused. And so one of the things we're going to be really be focusing on tonight is how to not misuse prophecy. Um, and so now we're going to go and pick up more satellites. Now that we have that, that kind of base thing in 1 Corinthians 14, 1-4, that it's good for upbuilding, for encouragement, for consolation, and for building up the church, we're going to go look at more satellites. You guys have heard Ben's GPS analogy, where back in the olden days when he was using GPS in, in the Marines, uh, there was uh, just a little giggle, nothing more, olden days, no? Okay. I, I wasn't alive yet. Um, uh, they, he, he explained how you would have these satellites to know where you are. So if there were three, you could triangulate and know more specifically where you are. The more satellites you pick up, the more you understand where it is you, you stand. And so that's what we're going to do here as we look. Did I explain that okay? Do you want to do it? Okay, good. Um, and so turn to the previous chapter in just 1 Corinthians 13. We're going to look at verses 1 through 2, picking up more satellites on this. We're going to be flipping around in our Bibles a lot, so if y'all want to keep your finger in it or, or put a note in it or use the offering envelope as a bookmark, you can do whatever you want, um, but we're going to be looking at a lot of Scripture to, to look at this. Verses 1 through 2 says this, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to Remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. According to these two verses, what must be paramount in the use of prophecy? Love. Love. Now, does this mean that you just prophesy in like a gentle voice, in a loving, gentle, encouraging voice? No, what this means is that prophecy, well, what do we know about love? What else, just off the top of your head, what do you all remember about love in 1 Corinthians 13? Patient, kind, gentle. Yeah, all these things should be indicative of prophecy as well. If the use of prophecy, if, if something in that that must be paramount is love, then what we're going to look at here is that it means it's patient, it's kind, not envious, it does not boast, it is not arrogant or rude. Those are two things you often see in the misuse of prophecy, arrogance and rudeness. It doesn't insist on its own way, it's not irritable or resentful and etc. all the other things in there. What, what I'm saying is that prophecy has to work within the bounds of love. If it's not working within the bounds of love, it is out of bounds. You can think of it as uh, for prophecy. If we're, if, if we're prophesying or someone has a prophetic word from the Lord to, for it to be used right, love is a, a field to play on, a path to run on, a track to drive on. The point is you cannot operate outside of love if you have a prophetic word to share with someone which is still kind of mysterious. We'll talk about it in just a minute. Look at verse 8 in that same chapter. It says, Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will pass away. As for knowledge, it will pass away. So the difference between love and prophecies is that love never ends while prophecy will pass away with tongues and knowledge. It is partial, and it is imperfect. So our quick recap before we move on to some more satellites is this. Prophecy is to be especially earnestly desired for upbuilding, 
for encouragement, for consolation, for the building up of the church. Love must be paramount in the use of it. It is partial, it is imperfect, and it will pass away. Those are some of the things we know about um, prophecy. I want to stop for a minute. I want to ask, has anybody ever been prophesied over? Just, I'm just curious to know if that's ever happened to anybody. If anyone's ever shared a prophetic word with you or said that God told them something they were supposed to tell you or anything like that. Has that happened to anybody at all, ever? Yeah? Should I? I kind of want to say and, and, but I know that could be uncomfortable. It, do you want to share anything on it? You want to, like what it was like or anything? No, no, okay. That's usually the answer that you get if you ask someone. It's, it can usually be very awkward. It can be kind of a, uh, I listened to a tape of a friend of mine who uh, she was prophesied over by someone who um, claimed to have the gift of prophecy. And she was like, you've got to listen to this tape. It's amazing. I was like, okay. And so we listened to the tape and it was awkward. I'm just sitting there listening to it going, really? You like sat there and they stood over you? And this is a little bit weird. And the main thing, the main reason I thought that is I didn't really know what the Bible had to say about the gift of prophecy. I didn't know if it was just something that was only used in the Old Testament, maybe some by the apostles in the New Testament. Now it's nothing. Um, But uh, it can be awkward. Some of the things, like when y'all think about prophecy, what are some of the first words that pop into your mind? What? Future telling? What'd you say? TBN? Okay. <laughs> and she apologizes. Okay. Um, yeah, future telling, kind of this psychic ability thing. That, that's usually, as, as I've thought about it before, as I've talked to others about it before, prophecy seems like this kind of psychic ability I can see into the future. Um, and if you want to hear the rest of the story, give me some money kind of thing. And so, look at 1 Corinthians 14.22. We're going to get a little more specific with all these satellites. 1 Corinthians 14.22. Thus tongues are a sign. Again, we're not talking about tongues. This is just in this verse. Thus tongues are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign, not for unbelievers, but for believers. So another satellite is... Prophecy is for who? Believers. Okay, it's important to know that. Look at verses 29 through 33. We're going to get a little more specific. Same chapter, verses 29 through 33. This is in the context of orderly worship. And when we gather together, God has made it clear in His Word that when we gather together for a time of corporate orderly worship, it is to be just that orderly. It's not some scatterbrained... Um, overly excited aerobics class kind of thing. Everybody can just wing it and renegade it and do whatever they want. There's order to it here. And, and, and so in verses 20, I'll just start at the beginning in verse 26 actually. It says, What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. Again, you hear, what's the purpose of it? It's for building up. It's not for tearing down. It's not for discouragement. It's for building up and encouragement. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or uh, only two or at most three and each in turn and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made, a revelation is made, 
to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and be encouraged. Again, you see that theme continuing. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. This is where we can look at what probably a lot of us have seen in the way of prophecy and see that a lot of times it's just misused. It's confusing. It's all over the place. And it's not necessarily encouraging um, when, when you experience it sometimes. And so, this, a couple points. First here, prophecy is based on what? What is it based on according to this? Verse 30, if what? If a blank is made. Revelation. From who? God. Prophecy is based on revelation. It's not based on uh, an inner feeling that you're just real sure about. Prophecy is based on revelation, and revelation specifically from God. What does this mean? This means weigh what is said. View it with mild skepticism. If, if you are at a place and someone prophesies over you, says they have a word to share with you from the Lord about uh, that, that is prophetic, it's okay to, to encounter it and engage it with mild skepticism. That's what the word's saying. It says, weigh what is said. God is a God of peace, not a God of confusion. Weigh what is said, view it with mild skepticism, and know that whatever that prophetic word is, it is not a final, decisive authority. In the Old Testament, this is one of those places where the, our current use of prophecy is, is different from the Old Testament. Because does anyone know what happened in the Old Testament if you prophesied and you were wrong? Dead. You're dead. That would keep you from opening your mouth real quick. Today it is different. We are not called to kill someone if they prophesy in the wrong way. However, we are called to weigh what is said and view it with mild skepticism. And I... Take this as, this, for a lot of us, as I'm, just as I'm talking through this, I'm realizing it might just be something that we just kind of put away. A lot of times when we're studying the Bible, maybe we haven't encountered that thing. Maybe we've never experienced the likenesses of that which we are studying. It's something that we put away um, in kind of this, uh, just we put it away in our hearts as, as understanding of God's will and His design. And it might be something you encounter later. There's been many times in my walk where, something will come up and I'll call to mind something that I read in Scripture that I've never really encountered that thing before. But it's good that I knew what God's will was towards that thing so that I could have a better understanding of the situation, how to counsel someone, how to receive something, how to encourage someone. So, if someone prophesies over you or says they have a prophetic word for you, uh, weigh what is said, view it with mild skepticism. It is not a final and decisive authority. How are we called to weigh things? The Word. Our final decisive authority is the Word. That, that should bring great joy to the church. That you don't have a bunch of guys who just have license to do whatever they want and make the calls however they want. Our authority is this Word. That's how we weigh uh, these things. When I say weigh what is said and view it with mild skepticism, that means that you have to take it here and run it through this filter. Because I'm not preaching right now and I'm teaching, I get to use a prop. We got props tonight. Anyone excited about that? Yeah, that's right. This here, we got a prop. This may be the first time I've used a prop. This is a voltage meter. 
Uh, when I was renovating my kitchen, this was good because I can know what plugs I hooked up the right way and what plugs I hooked up the wrong way. And if you hook it up the right way, this little light comes on right here, this little voltage meter light. So I got two plugs that I have covered with a uh, top-of-the-line plug cover bag. And, um, and what we do is we take it and we, just, we, we put it in the plug here. And if, it's, if there's any power to it, if it has any life to it, this thing lights up. So the green one, nothing, okay? Hopefully that's not the one that's plugged in or my, didn't this break down. Um, the brown one, oh look, you see that? See the light? Did everyone get the word, did everyone get my prop? You like that? You see the light? Can y'all see it? See, you unplug it, the light goes off, and guess what happens when I plug it back in? The light goes on, that's pretty cool, right? Yeah, I like that, don't you? Yeah, I know. I thought through that all long and hard. Why did I do that? Uh, the wire meter, it, it lights up. Here's the deal. We take each of these plugs, we run it through this little meter. Think of this as a filter. And it's kind of like it goes in this side and it comes out this side. And the only way that that lights up is that if some kind of power or voltage goes through this little filter. The light lights up to show us where the real source of the power is. It, it lights up to show us where the dead and the powerless one is. The green one was dead and powerless. The brown one here had power. It was hooked into a source that actually had power. It was not dead. The way that I use this on these little plugs is the way that we use this with prophecy. The way that if I want to know where the power is, where the source of power is, where, uh, which one is dead, which one is worthless and has no meaning for me, I can figure that out with this little thing. When it comes to prophecy, what we do is we use this in the same way. If someone prophesies over you or gives you a prophetic word or says that they have a word from the Lord or God told them something that they want to tell you, you run it through the word. You have to use the word to weigh what is said. You hear what they say. You view it with mild skepticism. You come to this word and you say, does that add up? Does that work? We have to run it through the word. Now, if you are going to... Uh, to use, I mean, I, I probably could have taken the example further and called like a five-year-old up here and given this to him and said, okay, use this to figure that out. And as the parent had a heart attack while they were plugging this into the plugs, I would have made the point that you got to know how to use this to actually be able to use it the right way to figure out which one's dead and lifeless and which one has power in life and is good for use. The same thing goes with the word. If we don't know this word, we can't use it rightly to rightly view a, a prophecy with mild skepticism and to weigh what is said. If we don't know what's in here, we may not be able to engage what someone tells us and say, well, I think, I think maybe you're, you've got a point there. I think maybe that is from the Lord. Or I think that maybe that doesn't make any sense because the word says something different. Um, turn to 1 Thessalonians 5. First Thessalonians 5 kind of explains this uh, again in the same way. We're going to go to about three different examples. We use this word to weigh what is said in a prophecy, to know, to t we're not necessarily, again, we're going to see here, we're not necessarily testing the prophet. We're testing the prophecy. First um, Thessalonians 5, verses 20 through 22. Do not despise prophecies. When something is weird and awkward and kind of mysterious and not clear at all, we may have a tendency to want to despise that thing or consider it not worthy of being given another thought. 
honestly, if someone, that, without studying these things, if someone were to come up to me and say, I've got a prophetic word for you, I'd be like, oh, whatever, what is it? That's cute, later. And I wouldn't give it much thought. I kind of even despise that kind of approach, like God told me something that, that I'm supposed to tell you. But what this says in 1 Thessalonians is, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Test it. And as you test it, you hold fast what is good, and you abstain from every form of evil. Do not despise prophecies. Test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Another way of saying that same thing is in Deuteronomy 13. Turn to Deuteronomy 13. I told you we were going to be all over the place tonight. Remember, a true prophecy from the Lord is is someone is speaking it as a mouthpiece for God. God is saying something through that person for the purpose of upbuilding and encouragement and consolation, the building up of the church within the bounds of love. Deuteronomy 13, 1-4 says this, If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, Let us go after other gods, which you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you, not tempting you, He is testing you, to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear Him and keep His commandments and obey his voice. You shall serve him, and you shall hold fast to him. It's the same thing that was being said in 1 Thessalonians. It's the same thing that's being said in 1 Corinthians. What's happened in this little scenario is that someone has done a really cool trick, something really amazing that just can't be explained. And they said, okay, I've done this thing that's amazing that can't be explained. Now my message that goes with it is let us go serve other gods, lowercase g, gods. Let us not serve the God who you say is king of kings and lord of lords. Let us serve other gods. Let us serve idols, essentially. The point that this gives us is this, and this is really important. Pay attention to the message, not the miracle. In dealing with prophecy, if someone... So a lot of times, if a prophetic word comes through, someone will have something that goes along with it that um, is neat. Uh, maybe it's a healing. Maybe it's something that can't be explained. But pay attention to the message, not the miracle. Pay attention to the message, not the miracle. Because look, loving the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, is the right reason to hold fast to what is good and abstain from every form of evil. The love for God is what keeps us from just being works. If we're just going to try and abstain from what's bad and hold fast to what is good and really do some things to try and show an outward form of obedience, that's just works if it's separate from the love of God. So this is pay attention to the message, not the miracle, because the message is never going to be turn from your God. And oftentimes when prophecy is misused, and in the last days when it will definitely be misused, they will tell you to turn from your God. Pay attention to the message, not the miracle. Practical examples. I was, I was thinking about, okay, what's a practical example of this? What, what's weird? There's, there's a show on, I think it's A&E, which is supposed to be some educational show, 
uh, or station. Um, it, there's a show called Mind Freak. You ever heard of it? A show called Mind Freak with a guy named Chris Angel. Is it, has anyone ever heard of this show? Am I the only sinner who stopped and watched that? This guy is, is a mind freak. I mean, you watch what he does, and it's pretty weird. I was watching it, and, and I was like, Lindsay and I were sitting there, I was watching, I was like, this dude must have sold his soul to the devil or something. Like, how do you, you know how you're at a restaurant, and they come around, they do the card tricks, and you're like, man, why can't I figure out how he did that? It's just cards and a dude, why can't I figure it out? This show, he does things that, um, that will freak your mind. They, they are... He does, he, and he does them in front of a, a large group of people, and this guy does things where, like, he'll hover. Like, how are you, gonna, how are you just going to pull that out? Like, like, I've seen him do it to where he'll just get his feet about this far off the ground. You're like, all right, how did he do that? How, how did that happen? And then I saw another one where he just disappeared in front of everybody, you know, like out in the middle of a field, a soccer field, and just bam, he's gone. Everyone's like, how did he do that? saw another one where they got the camera going. He actually hovers all the way up a building to the top of it. I'm like, all right, how do you do that? But he really caught my attention. I'm flipping through one night, and he's, he's in Vegas, um, great place, and uh, uh, we learned about that in Genesis 19. Um, he's in Vegas, and he's at the pool, and he kind of gets a little bit of attention, and everyone's like, oh, he's here to do a show. What's he going to do? You know what he did? He stepped out on the water, and he just kept going. And he walked all the way across that water. And they had cameras under him. They had people swimming under him. And I'm sitting here going, okay, uh, he took it too far. Because I'm pretty sure only one guy can do that. And I'm pretty sure he's trying to at least make, I mean, where would he even get the idea to walk on water? Hmm, Jesus, okay. He he does all these things. And there's lots of people who do sorcery and, and, and parlor tricks and things that are hard to explain. If this guy did this, and then if he walks on water, and then he comes back and says, look, I want to tell you guys something. The only reason that I can do that is that I am the Messiah. No one else has ever walked on water. I'm the only one. And, and what I want you guys to know is that because of that, what I'm doing is I'm coming and I'm bringing my people in, and in order to do that, I need a lot of money. And so it takes funds to do this, so I'm going to need everybody to give me as much money as possible. And all of a sudden, he's collecting money because he walked on the water. What he's doing is he would be saying, this is a prophetic word that I have from God that I'm sharing with you, and I'm using this cool trick to wow and amaze everyone and leave them in awe and wonder. But the thing that we have to remember in Deuteronomy 13, 1 Thessalonians, 1 Corinthians 14, is pay attention to the message, not the miracle. 2 Timothy 3.16, turn there, pay attention to the message, not the miracle. This is going to reiterate this. Pay attention to the message, not the miracle. 2 Timothy 3, 16-17 says this. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. Let me say that again. And as we think about, listen to the message and not the miracle. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. 
that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. Uh, John Piper says that the basic means of doing the will of God is a mental ability to prove or confirm what is the will of God. Your created purpose is to do the will of the Lord, to glorify Him. When we, when we do the will of God, when we live out according to the will that God has given us in this Word, through the Scriptures, which are profitable, to teach us the will of God, for reproof, to correct us if we're outside of the will of God, to train us in righteousness, to show us how we can be trained up to live according to the will of God, so that we can be competent and equipped and, and ready for every good work. Our ultimate purpose is that God is glorified in our lives. Our ultimate purpose is that He wants us to know His will and live His will. The basic means of doing the will of God is a mental ability to prove or confirm what the will of God is. The reason I'm sharing that is this. How does God, predominantly, mostly, the most obvious thing, how does He tell us His will? I mean, it's pretty obvious. The Word. Not prophecy. It's, it's important for us to understand that. Because if we hear something prophetic, someone claims that it's prophetic, we must know this word. This word is the means that God teaches us what His will is, what He wants us to do. You're created for God's design. Your created purpose, your whole purpose for living on this earth is to glorify God. To live in such a way that you put His glory on display. There's no way to do that outside of His will. And what I'm wanting us to see in the way of accepting a prophetic word or thinking we have a prophetic word, is that the main mode that God uses to tell us His will is this, not prophecy. The reason I'm saying that is that if all of a sudden we realize, hey, prophecy is a real deal. It's really something. And prophecy is, what we're going to see here in a minute, is that it is something today, and it's to be used in a certain way. We might get so excited about that that we just sit around waiting for a prophetic word from the Lord rather than going to the Word and digging into the Word, and feasting on the Word. We have to understand that God has designed us that we live according to His will. The main way that He shows us what His will is, is the Scriptures, not prophecy. Now, really, this is our approach to everything. And this is where I begin to see that I really, as as I've looked at all these Scriptures and kind of hashed through this, I don't think that prophecy is going to look much different than wisdom or discernment or even a ministry idea. I just, when I think, how do I respond to prophecy? Is prophecy real? When I look at everything that Scripture has said, everything we've weighed so far tonight, I really don't think that prophecy is going to look much different, and I don't think that my response to it is going to be much different than it would be to to, uh to wisdom, to discernment, to even a ministry idea. And it's, the, it is, it's, it's even the same way that we measure and that we weigh advice or books or even songs. Like if someone comes to me and, and says, oh, you got to hear this song. This is like the best song ever. I could listen to that song. It may be emotionally moving. It may be uh, poetically right and, and, and equal. It may be musically... Um, amazing. It could move you to a place just musically where you're like, man, I haven't heard anything like that. But how do I know if that song actually has any worth? If it's a good song, if it's a good worship song, how do I know that? I have to weigh it with the word. For instance, if there's a song that's going along and it says, you thought of me above all, that's not right. 
that's not right. What you have to do is, yes, that's a very emotional song. That's a song, man, that sounds good. But you thought of me above all. Wait, something's out of whack. I don't think he thought of me above all. I think, I think maybe he, first of all, he's higher than me. Maybe he has a plan that's bigger than me. And you've got to weigh that with scripture. If you hear, it happens with songs. It happens with books. For instance, if there is a book that has sold millions and bajillions of copies, and most Christian people love the book, amazing book, everyone's reading it, is just because everybody loves it, does that mean that it's great? Not necessarily. You take that book, and I'm not naming any books, quit waiting for it. Um, <laughs> you take that book, and you have to weigh it with Scripture. There's, and, and there's lots of books that I've read that parts of it are great and parts of it are horrible. And the only way that you can know the difference between the great parts and the horrible unbiblical parts is to weigh it with the Word. Weigh what is said. That's why I feel like prophecy is not necessarily going to look much different than my response to a, uh, a someone saying, read this book or listen to this song or I've got some advice or I've got some wisdom or I've got some discernment because every single one of those things we have to filter through this word. This is paramount in under, having any understanding in life, any real wisdom, having any right direction. We have to filter it through this word. I've been uh, meeting with um, Patrick and uh, I, is he here? No? Cool, I can share it. Um, he, <coughs> he said, we, we've been meeting on um, just once a week, just kind of going through for discipleship and all these things and rethinking the way that we approach things. When we hear something, a lot of times, if we've grown up, especially um, a lot of times just church culture and traditionalism can allow us to, we hear something and we run it through the filter of what I've experienced. We run it through the filter of um, what mom and dad said was maybe the way church should be or something like that. And when you reverse that and you begin to hear things and you run them through the filter of the word and you see what God has to say about it rather than what my tradition is or what I've experienced culturally, you begin to have a right view of that thing according to what God would want. And so, uh, for instance, um, I've heard some people say, you know, um, my parents did this and I did this and I grew up where uh, it was, I don't know, maybe uh, traditional music or something. And, and, it's, and it's like, I just, I don't think that the guitar is the right way. I don't think, I had a guy tell me that I was practically the devil because I played guitar in corporate worship. And, and, and you could say, well, I'm running through that, that through the filter of what I've experienced and what my culture that I've been surrounded with says. But really, when you run, run it through the filter of the word, you begin to look at the importance of worship is the heart. The importance of worship is, is what your, where your heart is and what you are communicating to God. Is it true? Is it, has even what you're communicating, is your heart, has it been weighed by this as well? And so, rather than run, when we hear things, rather than running them through a filter in our minds of traditionalism and, and, and just cultural um, impact, we run them through the filter of the word, and that's how we actually gain an understanding of it. Um, there are many young men who, who fall into foolish arrogance because they think they know more than they really know. And it's not until those young men open up this word and they're wrecked and they realize, I've been running things through the wrong filter. I need to run things through here so I can actually have any understanding in life whatsoever. Um, some examples, a couple more examples. If someone says, I've received a word from the Lord, examples of how to weigh it, how to weigh it with the word. If someone comes to me and says, I have received a word from the Lord that we should stop spending money, 
to help people in the body. And what we should do is to, I had a dream about it. I had a dream from the Lord that we should stop spending money on people in the body and take that money and use it as an evangelism and outreach tool to non-believers. That sounds kind of noble, right? Oh, that's a good use of money. Reaching out to people who don't know the Lord, helping them, maybe paying their light bill. My mind, I would have to immediately go to Galatians 6. It says, in Galatians 6, it says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest. At every opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those in the house of believers, those in the, those in the family of believers. I would take that verse, and that is how I would weigh an idea like that. I would take that, someone might say, I had a dream about it, I think it's going to work. I had a dream, and in my dream, thousands in Greenville uh, loved the Lord and repented and were converted. That may have been a dream, but to weigh that the right way, I have to weigh it through here. And, and taking that money and using it not on uh, people in, within the body and loving them is actually goes against what God has revealed to us in Galatians 6. If someone said, I've heard of uh, this happening before. A man saying to his minister, I have received a word from the Lord. I've actually heard this one. I've received a word from the Lord that I'm supposed to divorce my wife, give her full custody of the children, so that I can go and serve the Lord in the mission field in India or wherever. Okay. And then you say to that person, no, that's not right. And what is their comeback? What do they say? But God told me to do it. When you hear someone proclaiming to have a prophetic word, it is okay for you to correct them by use of Scripture. All Scripture is profitable for one of the things is correction. And say, no, God did not tell you that. That is stupid. That is wrong. That is backwards from what God would ever tell you. If someone says that, I, I, I'm supposed to divorce my wife, give her full custody of the children, go to the mission field, you go to Genesis 2, where God calls a man to hold fast to his wife. Romans 7, where he says a woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. Hebrews 13, that says we're to let marriage be held in honor among all and not let the marriage but be undefiled. Why? Because that guy gets to the mission field and he says, because of this prophetic word that I received from the Lord, I am here to share a message with you that I myself have abandoned. That's all he could say. I'm here to tell you a message that I've already abandoned just to get here to tell you the message. It doesn't make sense. It's backwards. So if, some, if someone says something like that, you hear something like that, again, you weigh it with this. View it with mild skepticism, whatever it is, and weigh it with the word. The point is that true prophecy, true prophecy never trumps the word of God. And very important to understand that. True prophecy never trumps the word of God. Mainly because a true prophet, as opposed to a false prophet, will speak only as someone who has a revelation from God. A true prophet has a revelation from God. That's why the, the true prophecy never trumps the word of God. God will never go back on his word or undo something through prophecy that he's already made concrete in Scripture. Does that make sense? God will never go and undo something through prophecy to undo something he's made concrete in Scripture. If so, that 2 Timothy 3.16 verse that we read, all scriptures breathed out by God and profitable, it would have to say, some scriptures breathed out by God and profitable, unless it is otherwise made void by way of prophetic revelation to one of my children. Now, how confusing would that be? Can you imagine people just regularly calling in, hey, got a prophetic word from the Lord, turns out I'm not supposed to give. Okay, great. Oh, got a prophetic word from the Lord, turns out I can have ten wives. Okay, great. Can you imagine how confusing that would be? Do you remember what it said before? God is a God of peace, not a God of confusion. So when we look at this, we have to understand true prophecy, one of the things about it is it will never, ever 
attempt to trump the word of the Lord. So, getting into a couple more of these current day implications. Who can prophesy? Who's this reserved for? Is it only reserved for a few people? And hopefully we get the right ones. Who's it reserved for? Turn to Acts. Acts 2, uh, 17. The prophet Joel is being cited here. An Old Testament prophet. And he says this. And in the last days, we're in the last days. Let me, um, when Jesus came back, one of the things he said in Mark 4 is that a secret of the kingdom has been revealed. And the secret that was revealed was that we are at the beginning of the end of the age. Meaning the end of the ages are upon us. And when Jesus came back the first time, that was the beginning of the end of the age. And when he comes back again, that will be what? The end of the end of the age. It sounds confusing. It's really not. What we live in right now is sometime in between, maybe closer this way, maybe closer this way, depending on who you talk to. We live sometime in between the beginning of the end of the age and the end of the end of the age. So it's safe to say we are in the last days of this age. And in the last days, it shall be. God declares. Who declares it? God. Not just whoever gets a feeling of prophetic something or rather. God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and my female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. So according to this verse, who can prophesy? Men, women, young and old. Now, I'm not getting crazy on y'all here and saying, look, We should be doing a lot more prophesying. We're not leaving here until we get some prophesying done. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that according to the Word, the Scripture that is breathed out by God, prophecy is reserved for men, women, young, old, whoever God deems to use as His mouthpiece to proclaim something of insight for direction, for the upbuilding of the church, and for encouragement. And whatever God chooses to proclaim through that person as a mouthpiece will always be found in here. It it will never be something that's being undone out of the Word. So, the cool thing is that that fits perfectly in with that 1 Corinthians 14 passage. 1 Corinthians 14, it says, We should all especially earnestly desire the gift of prophecy. That fits with this. Because what this is saying is that in these last days, beginning of the end of the age, end of the end of the age, God will pour His Spirit out. Men, women, young and old. That's why we should all earnestly desire the gift of prophecy. If you're weirded out right now, that's okay. And how are we to prophesy? Turn to Romans 12. I texted Brad this week and said that Romans 12 is the Kevin Bacon of Scripture. Six degrees of Kevin Bacon. Go look it up. Google it. You'll get it. Romans 12, verse 6 says this. 12, verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Now, who gives grace? God. 
Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Don't sit on them. Don't sit on your hands and not use the gifts that God has given you. One of the ways that the body flourishes is that you use the gifts that God in His grace has given you. And guess what? Everybody's got these gifts. A lot of times it's, it's funny when we have conversations like, oh man, there's just so much to do and no one to do it. That's false. Everybody has gifts. And it's, it's funny, it says, let us use them. As if, what else are you going to do with them? Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to what? To our faith. If prophecy in proportion to our faith. Faithless prophesying is not of God. It has to be done in faith. It has to be done with the will of God in mind. If, if you think you have a prophetic word, and it has nothing to do with the will of God, it's outside of Scripture, and it's even counter to Scripture, it is faithless. Faithless prophesying is not of God. Romans 14, anything done outside of faith is what? Sin. Anything done outside of faith is sin. If you prophesy, do it in proportion to your faith. In conclusion to this confusing prophetic craziness, a great point was made uh, by John Piper when he said that prophecy is not the normal means that God communicates His will to the church. He said it, and a lot of other guys have said it, that prophecy is not the main means, the, the main f- front means that God communicates His will to the church. Prophecy is real. Prophecy is a gift. It is to be done in proportion to our faith. It is for upbuilding. It is for encouraging, consoling, and the building up of the church. It operates only within the bounds of love, and it never trumps the Word of God. Men, women, young and old are to especially earnestly desire this gift. God's desire is that we love Him with all of our heart, our soul, and our mind. He has given us this breathed out Word so that we may know His will and so that we may live according to His will. He's given us this Word for that purpose. If we do not keep prophecy in its proper place, that's one of the things we wanted to do tonight, is just make sure, yes, prophecy is real. I don't want to despise it because the Bible says don't despise it. I don't want to just sweep it under the rug because that's kind of a way to despise it. It's real. But if we don't keep it in its proper place, we'll find ourselves sitting around waiting on a prophetic word from the Lord rather than feasting on the word and looking at our hearts and our minds. And what are we called to do with sin? Put it to what? Death. If we think that if we let prophecy get out of hand and it doesn't have its proper place, as we've looked at tonight with about 15 places of Scripture, if we let it get out of hand, what we will find ourselves doing is sitting around and rather than feasting on the Word, looking at our lives, encouraging one another, putting sin to death, we'll just be sitting around waiting for the next prophetic word. It has its place. If you sense, and this is important, this is important, this is what we'll close with here. If you sense that God has given you a prophetic word, and this is not just weirdos who get this. I I, want to make this clear. I kind of feel like it's like, I still don't understand why we're talking about this. A prophetic word is not something that only weirdos get. Um, I, I know people that I respect immensely who have had dreams that are of a prophetic nature, and it's kind of weirded me out. But you weigh it with the word, and you kind of wait and see what happens, and all of a sudden you find, oh man, that's crazy. There have been many pastors, very respected pastors, who are preaching. They'll share something in, in their sermon that is of a prophetic nature and find out later, they're kind of like, I don't even know where that came from. That was kind of weird. I hope I wasn't off the mark. Find out that someone in the congregation was hugely encouraged within the bounds of love by that thing. So, if you sense... 
I just had this picture of everyone sensing a prophetic nature and getting it all out of hand. Um, if, you sense, if you sense that God has given you a prophetic word to share with someone, share it humbly, share it lovingly, knowing that you could be wrong, and run it through the filter of Scripture before you ever open your mouth. Don't have a dream, wake up at 6, call a person, Hey, you're dying in a car wreck today. That's not encouraging. That's not within the bounds of love. That's not for the upbuilding of the church. Humbly, knowing you could be, you just had bad Mexican food or something. Knowing it could be off the mark. Knowing that they are called to view it with mild skepticism. Knowing that they're called to weigh it with the word before they say, you know what, you're totally right. I'm doing that. Share it. Run it through the filter of Scripture before you ever open your mouth. Likewise, if someone shares with you what they feel is a prophetic word from the Lord. I heard a guy who said, um, he said that he got a, someone prophesied over him that his wife would have another child, a third child, that child would be a girl, and she would die while having the child. Okay, well, they're freaked out until the child is born. The child's born, it was a boy, and she didn't die. That's why you view it with mild skepticism. It's not like a life-changing life altering. Okay, we've got to stay indoors, and I don't know, maybe, maybe we should do things different. If someone shares with you what they feel is a prophetic word from the Lord, view it with mild skepticism. However, do not despise it. Here it comes up again. There's a middle ground there. View it with mild skepticism, but do not despise it. Do not despise it, but you test it, and you hold fast to what is good. How do you know what is good? The word. You don't despise it, you test it. And if there's anything good in there, you hold fast to that, because it's from the Lord. And you abstain from every form of evil. For instance, in that Deuteronomy 13, hey, here's a cool trick. Now leave your God. That's evil. Abstain from that. Don't do that. Pay attention to the message, not the miracle. Pay attention to the message, not the miracle, or means by which the message is delivered. Our final decisive authority is the Scriptures, and it is by them that we're to weigh and measure all things, from prophecies to opinions. Opinions about a book, opinions about a song, everything from prophecies to opinions, we weigh it with this word. Our aim is God's glory. Our aim is God's glory, and the thing is is that we will never hit what we're aiming for if our first step in doing so is shelving um, what God has revealed to be His will as as He's revealed in the Scriptures. Like our aim in life is God's glory. God created you for His glory. If we step away from this word and try to do something else, go down a path, maybe it's a career path, maybe it's a way you spend your money, maybe it's an investment, I don't know what, there's a jillion things we could say here. But if our aim in life is God's glory, we will never hit what we're aiming for. If we take God's will, God's design, as he has revealed it in these scriptures, and we shelve it first, and then try and go along with what we're doing. God has designed that you live for his glory, you live according to his will, and he's revealed that in the scriptures. So, that, that's, again, why I don't, I don't think that prophecy is going to look any different, and I don't think our response would be any different than an idea or an opinion or um, just discernment and wisdom. We weigh it all with the Word. So in case we didn't get the point, the Word is very, very important. You use it to figure out where the power is. You use it to figure out if something is dead and worthless. You use it for that. Let's pray. Mm-hmm. 
That's one of the cool things about 1 Thessalonians 5 is that it, it doesn't call us to test the prophet. It doesn't say, oh, are they a prophet? Are they not a prophet? Ooh, if they're a prophet, let's put them in a you know, collegiate prophet. Prophetic. In the Old Testament, they had kind of a college of those who were prophetic and they were labeled a prophet. The thing about 1 Thessalonians 5 is it doesn't tell us to figure out, ooh, are they a prophet or are they not a prophet? It says to test the prophecy, not the prophet. And again, the word is absolutely central to it. You can totally sensationalize it. Did they have the New Testament? No, man. They got like one letter. Pa- man, Paul, you, you're, at the, you're in the church in Corinth. And you get that one letter. It's framed. You're reading that thing every day. Yeah. Man, that's a gray letter. Yeah. What do you got? And then you got this old, yeah. new, this old, old, old Testament. So someone speaking a, maybe a prophetic word directly from the Lord into that scenario may be more critical than now when we've got a complete canon. Yeah. Yeah. 
Any, any other questions? I so hesitate to ask that. Any? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to equate a prophet with a pastor teacher because a pastor teacher, that is a, an off, that is mm-hmm. a, a gift given to the church. But hopefully, a pastor teacher's words are, are quite prophetic when they say the truth is darkness illuminated, foretelling, mm-hmm. convicting sin, uh, convicting of sin shedding light. Mm-hmm. Any other questions or thoughts? Foretelling of future events and a fourth telling of truth. Let's pray. God, I just I thank you for the word. God, it's so central to everything we've talked about tonight. You, you've given it to us. It is a gift. I pray that we would value it rightly. I pray that um, as we, you know, prophecy is only one of many very confusing uh, things in Scripture. And as we have the gift of the Scriptures and we have the gift of the Spirit to help us discern uh, what's right and what's wrong what has worth and what does not. Um, I, I pray that we would, uh, we would be people who are focused on your will, that we would be thankful uh, continually, and uh, that we would um, take seriously the, the call to know this word. Um, as we know, it's all breathed out by you. Uh, I'm thinking of Psalm 19, how we're, we're warned by your word, and we are uh, encouraged by your word. We're rebuked by it. We're, we're, uh, we're guided by it. God, we thank you for it. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you um, that um, so many of the Old Testament prophecies um, that were spoken were fulfilled perfectly in Christ and that because of uh, that and, and your working that we, have, um, that we have understanding there and that we know that he indeed is Messiah and Savior. 
from you according to your design and according to your will. God, as we continue um, our weeks, uh, we know that our created purpose is to glorify you. We know that you have designed us to live according to your will so that people will see your glory, so that you would be glorified, that you would be honored, that your glory would be put on display. So I pray that, um, that we would continue to walk uh, in the word, uh, that it would be a light to us, that it would guide us, that it would warn us. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for our time tonight. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.